Now, more from the Diamond with Graham McCauley. Brought to you by Mark Spain Real Estate. Get a guaranteed offer from Mark Spain Real Estate. 855-299-SOUL. On Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Welcome back into From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game as we embark on hour number two of the show from the Kia Studios in Midtown. Thanks for making me part of your weekend. And if the Braves have been a big part of your weekend, then you're probably pretty happy heading into Sunday afternoon's finale against the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Braves with their first series win out in L.A. in 11 years and a chance for a sweep. That doesn't happen too often out there either. We're going to take our look around the big leagues, though, for some of the other big stories that have been going on across the world of baseball. And we're going to stay out in Los Angeles because the Angels were among some of the clubs across Major League Baseball that made some headlines this week. And there were some curious headlines. They placed several of their notable and useful players on irrevocable waivers, which means they can be claimed by any club. This is not a trade. And if they are claimed before the month of September, well, they're postseason eligible as well. Now, Waivers have been a pretty common term across baseball, but these waivers in particular were solely for claiming players and their salary and moving them from one club to another. So if you are a team that wants that player, all you have to do is agree to take on the remaining terms of that contract, and that is your player. And once placed out on waivers, unlike the old trade deadline days or the waiver trade days, this is not, okay, well, somebody made a claim. I don't want them to get him. I'm going to pull him back, and we're going to keep him. That used to be part of the gamesmanship that went on this time of year. That's no longer a thing. There is the one trade deadline, then a waiver period, and you kind of get where I'm going with this. So if you wanted to, you know, I don't know, head to the corner store and pick up a couple of players that you needed for your stretch drive and you're a contending team, this is the way that you're going to do it. And the Angels were kind of the 7-Eleven of this whole thing. Pitchers Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez, who were acquired from the Chicago White Sox in a trade, uh, pitcher Matt Moore, reliever, Dominic Leone, as well as Hunter Renfro were all put on waivers and claimed. Randall Gritchick was also placed on waivers. Nobody claimed him, though, so he has to stay at the party in Los Angeles, which got a bit sad after the trade deadline when some of these players actually came over, and the Angels spent prospects on this. And they did that, and we talked about this on the show at that time about a month ago because they were hoping against hope that they would get just hot enough to ride Shohei Otani and the return of Mike Trout and some of these new additions and what they had in place to a potential wildcard berth. Then they proceeded to go directly off a cliff. I think they went 5-17 and 17 coming out of the trade deadline. Obviously, the Otani news is some of the worst that we've heard this year, just in, just in terms of you know, he, I, he's going to pitch again. He's still out there playing. He's still out there hitting. He's still one of the most incredible players that you're going to watch in baseball. But knowing that he's probably staring down a second Tommy John surgery and is unlikely to pitch it all in 2024. Well, you're talking about taking the shine off a season. Well, I would say that that probably did it. I'm not going to take the MVP award away from him, but it kind of takes one of the most exciting and unique things that you can possibly find in any sport off of the field and uh, unavailable to do the things that he had shown us were possible. But getting back to the Angels, I mean, they let Giolito, Lopez, and more go in a waiver claim to the Cleveland Guardians. Hunter Renfro was claimed by the Cincinnati Reds, and Leon went to the Mariners. And all these claiming teams, again, they're responsible for the money. So the Angels cleared just under $6 million from their payroll. Now, I know they wanted to bolster their postseason chances, but these moves, in case you're wondering, well, why would you just let all these players go, especially if you just traded for them? I think it's an attempt to get and stay under the luxury tax. I don't know if this pulled it all off or not, but really it's just one of those moves that um, – I don't know. There's just some questionable optics to all of this. It wasn't going to make the Angels' season any better for them to keep going. I mean, they were hoping Giolito would be an answer. 
I had a lot of people asking me why the Braves didn't trade for Lucas Giolito, and none of us know how he would have pitched here, but he was awful in Anaheim. So that clearly was not something that solved their problem. As the club fell out of the race over the past few weeks, so they opted to place all those players on waivers on Tuesday, and they all have postseason eligibility. So if any of these clubs, and the Mariners in particular, look awfully good, the Reds have a chance in the wild card. The Guardians, I don't know, is the American League Central ever over? Does anybody ever want to win it? Maybe. But maybe these Angels pitchers will help out. Or maybe they'll go in there and it will not go as well as it did for Giolito uh, out in Anaheim. But be that as it may, one of the stranger waiver tales was that of Harrison Bader. As he found out that he was put on waivers while he was watching TV, I want you to take a listen to this from the Yes Network. This is Harrison Bader explaining exactly how he found out that he may not soon be a member of the New York Yankees. How did you find out you were put on waivers today? Um, I was in the uh, lunchroom. I saw it on a... ESPN, I guess, you know, I guess it popped up somehow over there. So that's how I found out. What was your reaction when you saw that news? Uh, like, what does waivers mean? <laughs> but, you know, listen, in all seriousness, um, regardless of what happened or may happen, you know, just getting the opportunity to, uh, you know, play in this uniform. And I still hopefully do get the opportunity to play in this uniform. Uh, just everything that's happened, has just been an absolute blessing, and an absolute gift. Um, and like we all know here, you know, I'm a, New York City kid, um, and I never in a million years thought I'd play in the big leagues, let alone for uh, for New York Yankees. So just the opportunity uh, has just been incredible, and I've loved every second of it. So whatever happens, happens. I understand it's a business. We learn it. Um, I'm a long way away from being a, a pup coming up in the Cardinals organization, but uh, listen, uh, it's all about the ball, and uh, I just love playing ball, you know, over here. It's, it's been a blast so far, so I guess we'll find out what happens. Well, we are going to find out what happens, and in fact, we did. That's what we do here on From the Diamond. We, we complete the story. And Harrison Bader is now a member of the Cincinnati Reds. I mentioned Hunter Renfro, outfielder for the Angels, also picked up by the Reds, who are looking to make that late wild card push. So it's back to the National League Central for Harrison Bader with a club that very much wants him. Uh, you know, Bader is just one of those guys. Again, it's not about you know, necessarily the biggest names in all the baseball moving in the waivers you know, that we just saw and these, these waiver claims. These are some useful players. So... If you didn't cash in at the trade deadline and you didn't want to part with those prospects, are we now going to see a trend that is, okay, well, let's wait until three or four teams decide that they no longer want to pay these deals and they dump these players out there available to be picked up? Because if you're, and I talked about this uh, last week, if you're a wild card team, it's going to be very hard to explain why you didn't pick up a couple million bucks worth of this or that to maybe make the postseason when it doesn't cost you your top, you know, any of your top prospects or any minor league talent. It's a win-win for clubs that are kind of on the cusp of making the postseason or just looking for maybe that late-season injury replacement that happened after the trade deadline. All of a sudden, there could be a couple of outfielders, this reliever, that starter that are out there. It's an interesting way, an interesting workaround, perhaps, for what has become the trade deadline without the waiver trade period. Now, September call-ups bring up a host of prospects to the majors. That also happens here uh, in this month, and among them, a man they called the Martian joined the New York Yankees, and he went ahead and put one into orbit in his first at-bat. Driven out to left field and deep. Going back, Alvarez turning, looking. Welcome to the big league. See ya. A home run for Dominguez in his first big league at-bat. That's the call on the Yes Network by Michael Kay. As Jason Dominguez homered off Justin Verlander, no less, in his first big league at-bat. If you know anything about the prospect game, and if you're a big card collector the past few years, Jason Dominguez's name has probably been on the tip of your tongue or maybe on your wish list if you're that card collector out there. Made his Major League debut on Friday, hit an opposite field two-run homer off Justin Verlander. 
And the homer, a 360-footer into the Crawford boxes off a future Hall of Famer. That's the way to start if you're Jason Dominguez. And I've mentioned, you know, when you're going through prospecting and trying to put a comp on a player of who they might remind you of or who, what might be their ceiling if they get to the big leagues, MLB.com did Dominguez the great service of making the two most comparable players to him as a 20-year-old prospect, by the way, and at this time he was, what, 17, maybe 16 years old. Most comparable players to Jason Dominguez, Mike Trout and Mickey Mantle. Go ahead and start the hype train right there because, you know, if you're able to live up to one or both of those guys, you're also going to the Hall of Fame. But the expectations, obviously, are extremely high. He was signed out of the Dominican Republic back in 2019. He is a switch hitter, hence the mantle um, comparison. He runs and obviously has some power. And on his first day of the big leagues and first, first day of roster expansion, was able to hit that big home run. And we're talking about a last-place Yankees team, which is weird to say because I would have to go back and look. I honestly don't know when the last time the Yankees were sitting in last place. Ten and a half games out of a wild-card spot, but that's where they find themselves here in 2023. Now, uh, when we're done with September, of course, it's on to October. The pitch clock is going to be coming along for that ride. I don't think too many people are surprised by this. It will be unchanged in postseason play. That means 15 seconds with the bases clear. 20 seconds with runners on base. They are kind of tweaking this in the minor leagues to go for the final three weeks, I believe, just 17 seconds across the board. I don't know if that'll be a thing. I know that the Players Association was kind of hoping for some tweaks in the postseason, but that's not going to be happening. And the pitch clock, just as we've seen all season long, is going to be sticking around. And there's obvious reasons why. Because the games have been markedly shorter. And even though they've gotten a little bit longer as the season's gone on, still here just in the month of August, it finished. The average game time across Major League Baseball was down 20 minutes from where it was a year ago. So that's why you're going to continue to see the pitch clock, even in the games that matter the most. Now, the Mets, they're not going to be going to October. I mean, they may be going somewhere individually on vacations and whatnot, but they're not going to be playing in the postseason this year. Some of their traded players are going to be, like Verlander, and one other such man is Max Scherzer. He was given a video tribute at City Field, which I always find these to be amusing because sometimes, and I don't know if teams are trolling or just playing around or, or just trying to have a little fun or if they're just bored for some of the players that have gotten video tributes. But Johan Camargo got one and, and got a National League championship ring with the Phillies, and then the Giants designated him for assignment 48 hours later. Why is Johan Camargo getting a video tribute? And I, and I like Johan. Don't, don't get me wrong. But a video tribute? So the Mets, as you might imagine, with the season that they're having, they put that up on the video board, and then about the time it, it piped down and Scherzer was shown there live in his Texas Rangers uniform, he was greeted with a whole bunch of boo birds, and that's not surprising considering the comments that he made on his way out of New York about where the Mets were headed, uh, what was going wrong with the Mets this season. There were reports that he and Justin Verlander didn't get along. A lot of different things came out uh, as Max Scherzer was busy spilling the tea on the Mets deciding that they don't want to be a contender next year, maybe not even in 2025, and he was traded off to the Texas Rangers. Let's hear a little bit about Scherzer discussing with reporters how exactly the Mets clubhouse was. It's been described as at least dysfunctional, and that might be putting it kindly, but here's Max Scherzer's take. No, it was not at all. We actually had a great clubhouse. We had great uh, veterans in the clubhouse, everybody included. Um, you know, that's definitely not the reason why we lost. Uh, we, we were a tight-knit group, had a lot of fun together. Um, you know, all this stuff with Ver and I, that, that just, Ver and I are actually on a better page now than we were when we started the season. So we're, we're much better off than we've ever been. So, you know, that was an anonymous quote. You never know the context of that, so I don't even want to speculate on it. How, how so are you guys better off? Or 
a better spot. We just are. We're just in a better spot. That's the best way to say it. Well, the better spot they are is Verlander's in Houston and Scherzer's in Arlington. So, you know, be that as it may, that's just kind of where we're at. The other interesting thing coming out of this whole Mets deal, the report and then the immediate rebuttal that Pete Alonso may be the next guy getting traded out of New York. So things are a long way from settled up there in Flushing. But as far as their playoff chances, I believe those have been settled for a while. We're going to continue our trip around the big leagues, but we're going to go back out to Los Angeles and going to check in with my buddy Joe Davis. He is the play-by-play voice of the L.A. Dodgers. You hear him on the National Fox broadcast as well. Had a chance to catch up with him earlier this week to talk about the matchup of the Dodgers and the Braves, the Braves and the Dodgers, inextricably linked, this rivalry, this budding rivalry here uh, that's going on this weekend. We'll hear from Joe Davis right here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Baseball. Talking Braves and beyond. Baseball. With From the Diamond. From the Diamond is brought to you by Window Nation. Get two windows free with every two you buy and pay nothing for two years. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back in to Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley with you from the Kia Studios on a Sunday as we continue with Hour 2 of the show and our trip around the big leagues. And a lot of things were happening this past week, but I don't know that any series across baseball was going to be any bigger than the one that we've been staying up late every single night watching. That's the Atlanta Braves and the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Braves entered this series with the best record in baseball. The L.A. Dodgers entered this series on an incredible hot streak with the best month by any team all season long, including the Braves, with respect to the outstanding June that Atlanta put together. All of the winning that's been going on for both teams set them up for this rivalry series and a showdown of National League powerhouses with MVP candidates and we've seen the Braves really take it to the Dodgers, holding on for that 8-7 victory in Game 1, a 6-3 victory in Game 2, and then the extra innings thriller in Game 3 to take the first three contests, pending the outcome of some Sunday afternoon baseball out in Los Angeles. I had a chance, though, this week to catch up with a buddy of mine. His name is Joe Davis. You've probably heard him doing some national broadcasts on Fox. He, of course, is the voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and I wanted to share my conversation with him as the Braves and Dodgers squared off for what could be a preview of the National League Championship Series. Thrilled to be joined by Joe Davis here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. He, of course, the play-by-play broadcaster for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Among the many hats he wears, you can hear him throughout the playoffs on Fox. You can hear him calling NFL games. Joe, I know this is an exciting time of year for both of us, but I imagine for you, things are about to get a little crazy. Yeah, this is my crazy, extra crazy stretch here, Grant, these next couple months, and what a way to kick it off here with this four-game series between these two teams. Yeah, absolutely tremendous, and I think that when you look at the story between these two clubs the last few years, which we'll get into, you know, it just kind of ratchets up the excitement level for what we're seeing play out this weekend. And the Braves and Dodgers, I mean, they've built, Joe, I think, one of the best rivalries in baseball over the past five seasons. You've watched it all come together as it's transpired, so it's no surprise that these two teams are involved in a series that has some postseason implications before we even get to October, the battle for baseball's best record, and home field advantage throughout, which I think both of these teams would like to have very much. Yeah, and it, you're right. It does have a lot of layers of a true rivalry where you now have the history. You know, three of the last five postseasons these teams have faced off. Mm-hmm knocked each other out on the way to win in their first championship in forever in 2020 and in 2021. Best two teams in baseball this year with the best two players in the National League this year. And you line all those things up, and it sure didn't disappoint last night in the first game. No, it did not. And we saw both of those players, which we'll get to shortly, the MVP candidates in Ron Lacuna Jr. and Mookie Betts, or 
Is it Mookie Betts and Ronald Acuna Jr.? We'll find out a little bit later this winter. But both of these teams are putting together what could be and should be 100-win campaigns. They're leading their respective divisions. They're doing so in remarkably similar circumstances from their performance on the field to the MVP candidates we just mentioned, and which we'll get into more in a moment, and the starting rotation and pitching issues that have been an ongoing battle for Atlanta. Well, Los Angeles has also had to deal with some of that. Uh, tell us a little bit about how the Dodgers have managed to turn that corner in the month of August and get seemingly everything clicking at the same time for what was an incredible month for this club. Yeah, the offense, Grant, has been great all year, or at least very good all year. The bullpen was bad through mid-June, best in baseball since late June. Rotation was figured to be a strength, but then it starts dealing with all these injuries. And I think those injuries kind of took a toll in July. They had the highest ERA for the starting rotation in a calendar month since the team had moved to Los Angeles in 1959 in July. So they followed that by what a lot of people looked at is kind of laying an egg at the trade deadline, not getting Eduardo Rodriguez settling for Lance Lynn, it looked like. And Lynn struggled last night, but he had been fantastic prior to last night. And everybody kind of rounded into shape in that month. So this is the, you know, the month of August was when everything kind of came together. They've all taken turns. The different phases have been excellent. But all three phases, offense, starting pitching, bullpen, were clicking that month. Yeah, when you're able to get all of that clicking, much like the Braves did back in June, you can put together a very special month, and the Dodgers certainly just did one of those. You mentioned the starting pitching rotation being as high as it had been since the club moved to Los Angeles. I know the Atlanta Braves were in a similar case yet again with the Dodgers after the trade deadline, having not really done that much. A lot of people were expecting the Braves to go out and maybe trade for a starter. Instead, they just kind of banked on Max Fried coming back and being Max Fried, having Kyle Wright possibly in September to impact those plans, and needing some other guys to really step up, and I think they've been able to do that. But yeah, as you mentioned, an ERA that's that high for the first time in, what, just under seven decades, you don't think about that with a staff that still has Clayton Kershaw, but an incredible month all around for L.A., an incredible month for Mookie Betts. I don't know if we have enough time on this call for me to run down all of the things that he accomplished, and you know that all so well. The short version, though, he led MLB in just about everything a hitter wants to lead the league in. What's behind the second-half surge for Mookie, that special month of August? Because it looks like, to me, from the outside, he's playing his best baseball since putting on a Dodgers uniform. Yeah, it, it really has. You know, you go through July, and it's like he, he was excellent. And, you know, he looked like one of the best players in baseball. And I kept on comparing it to his MVP 2018, taking a glance every few days, and it mm -hmm. just was nowhere close, which was making me think – man, how good was he in 18? If we're seeing him this good right now and it's not close to what he is in 18, well, you look a month later and he essentially is where he was at in 2018, which was one of the best individual seasons in baseball history. Yep. So his month of August, I think it, you know, it took his season from good to otherworldly and it took the MVP race from a done deal to a dead heat. It did, and with Ron Lacuna Jr. doing some of the things he was doing, a lot of people, myself included, couldn't really see somebody else out there who was doing as much as Ronald was doing for as long as he was. But one big month was just a continuation of Mookie slowly starting to build some momentum. He had a slow month of April, but I know a lot of people have said, you know, how much can one month impact the MVP race? I think they're kind of selling bets a little bit short because while August was absolutely absurd, this is a guy who has kind of been the beating heartbeat of this Dodgers lineup. He sets the tone in the same way that Ronald does that for the Braves. Yeah, and the advantage that the Dodgers like to point to when you're looking at those two guys and, and comparing them for MVP is what Mookie's defensive versatility does for the rest of the roster. 
So he's above average in right. He's above average at second base. He's playing second base every day against righties at this point. And what that's done is it's allowed the Dodgers to get Jason Hayward's bat into the lineup. Mm -hmm. His 850 OPS in right field, his five gold gloves in right field, instead of essentially Miguel Vargas at second base, and Vargas struggled so much he's down in AAA. So, you know, it's not just what Mookie does – his, his stat line, it's what it means for the rest of the roster. And when you're looking at valuable, most valuable player in terms of what he means for his roster, that's a layer that that is pretty unique to Mookie Betts. Yeah, and tell me a little bit about whose idea that was. I know Betts has played a little bit of infield here and there as needed, but as much as he's doing it this year, I know it's probably something he'd volunteer for, but who really kind of put that plan in motion? And could you have seen it playing out in the way that it has this year? Well, he's been taking ground balls most days since he got to the Dodgers. And even before that, it's been part of his routine. He was an infielder his entire life until a month before the Red Sox called him up to the major leagues. Right. He was blocked on the infield by Dustin Pedroia. So they said, hey, we got to get this kid's bat up here. Go learn how to play the outfield. And he never really looked back. Got to the majors as an outfielder, turned into a gold glover there, and just stayed there. But he still loves playing the infield. He has stayed ready to play the infield over his decade in the majors by that daily work. He had done a little bit of it, as you said, Grant, in recent years. But then uh, this year, it just kind of it came to a spot where the Dodgers needed him to. It made too much sense to not have him do that. And he is more than open to it. It's something that he really enjoys doing. And he feels like it kind of throws him back to his days as a kid, just going out and, and having a blast. Well, you might as well go out there and have fun while you're at it. Chatting with Joe Davis, voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Of course, you hear him on the national broadcast on Fox as well. He joins me on the WadeFord.com hotline on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game from the Diamond with Grant McCauley. So Betts has been fantastic this season. Freddie Freeman is unsurprisingly having a Freddie Freeman season, which is almost always fantastic. On the brave side, though, we've got Ronald Acuna Jr. operating on a level I don't think any of us have ever seen before. He's already made some baseball history with the 30 homers and the 60 steals. That's something that makes him unique. But his entire game, I feel like, Joe, has been elevated beyond any reasonable expectation. And he's doing all of this atop the best Braves lineup I think we've ever seen. I don't know that there's one criteria for an MVP season. In fact, I would say that there's not. But I think we're looking at the three players in this series to check an awful lot of boxes in Betts, in Acuna, and, of course, in Freddie Freeman. Yeah, and here's the thing with Acuna. The, the most impressive thing for me with Acuna, it's not the home runs and it's not the stolen bases. It's that he's cut his strikeout rate in half mm-hmm. from striking out more than your average hitter to the fourth best strikeout rate in baseball. So it's just been, a, as you said, beyond any reasonable expectations, I think calling it a resurgence, calling it a comeback from the knee injury is underselling what he's become. This is a new, not just improved version of Ronald Acuna, a completely different new version of Acuna that I don't know if anybody saw coming. Yeah, and I think he felt like, clearly, I mean, there was a lot to prove from the version that we saw a year ago, which was timid, if you will, maybe afraid to really go all out and clearly dealing with some pain and maybe some residual effects of that knee surgery. But you talk to his teammates now, and I'm sure as you talk to other people around baseball and even us broadcasters, when we're sitting around just kind of talking about, okay, well, what's this guy doing? What's making him so special? What are you seeing? You're seeing everything from Ronald Acuna Jr. And it's been pretty remarkable to see that. And his teammates, I think, have just kind of marveled at what he's been able to do this year, not just 30-30, but 30-60. And who's to say if there's not some other club out there that he's going to create going down the stretch. Now, 
Uh, Joe, I hate to flash back to last October, but both of these teams clearly had unfinished business with their early exits in 2022. As you look around the league at the wild card race, which is far from settled, who do you think could be trouble for the Dodgers, the Braves, or really just maybe that team to watch that's trying to punch its ticket to the postseason? I think it's the same team that uh, the Braves learned about last year in that situation, and that is the Phillies. Mm -hmm. And that creates an interesting wrinkle when you're talking about the Dodgers perhaps trying to chase down that one seed and home field advantage. I think careful what you wish for when it comes to going for that one seed because the one seed is going to be on the side of the bracket of the Phillies. And they very clearly, to me at least, are the scariest of those next tier of teams. I think you can make a case for Milwaukee with their starting pitching, but uh, for me, Philadelphia is the team you want to avoid. Yeah, I'm really fascinated to see who does grab those other few spots. We've seen at times this year the Reds be an exciting up-and-coming team. I think the Chicago Cubs kind of surprised some folks by not selling some pieces and deciding to stick and stay in that race, and they have. Milwaukee, of course, in the Central, as you mentioned. And I've been kind of waiting here for the Miami Marlins to maybe make that push. I thought maybe they'd make a few waiver claims, and the Marlins have felt like a club that might be one. If it could get into October, that could be troublesome, but they're going to have to figure out a way to get there. But I think you're on to something with the Phillies because that's a team that has power. That's a team that has the kind of pitching that you need to make a run through October. They did it last year. We all saw it firsthand in Atlanta. And, of course, you saw it firsthand all the way to the World Series. Uh, Joe Davis, voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers, joining me here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley as we close out here. I wanted to flash us back to something on a little bit more of a, a personal level. Back in the day, about a decade ago, you and I were calling some minor league baseball games in the Rays system. I know we're both so fortunate to work in and around the game that we love, but it's been really fun to see all the things that have come together for you in Los Angeles and with all of the national broadcasting and everything that you've been doing, everything in between. I still think calling a baseball game is the best job in the world, but how much fun are you having these days? Yeah, so much fun, Grant. I, I appreciate your kind words, and the feeling is mutual. But it's, it's so easy to remind yourself how lucky you are when you get to the ballpark and especially the view that we get at Dodger Stadium you know, looking out over the mountains and the palm trees. and I pinch myself often. And uh, we were talking before we hit record here, Grant, like it's a pretty easy job covering these two teams, delivering as much fun and good news as we get to. So I wouldn't trade it for anything. I, I, I'm uh, as lucky of a guy as I could ever have imagined being. Well, Joe, continued success to you. I really appreciate you carving out some time to join me here on the show. And I look forward to talking with you at some point in the postseason because we're all going to know what that picture looks like here come about 30 days from now. So I'm looking forward to that and uh, looking forward to our next chat. Okay, Grant. Me too, bud. I think one of the most fun things about baseball, at least in my time around the game and in the game and working in broadcasting is you just never know where the road's going to take you. And in 2012, calling minor league baseball games for the Tampa Bay Rays organization, I was in high A. Joe Davis was in double A. So anytime a player moved up a level, well, it went from me to him and then, of course, all the way on up to the big leagues, hopefully for some of these guys that are still hanging around and enjoying big league careers all these years later. But you know, Joe's had so much success. Great to catch up with him and great to get his insights on what has been a crazy series, a great series, as it turns out, for the Atlanta Braves. Joe and I had only seen the first game of this series before Friday and Saturday's outcome gave Atlanta its first series victory in Los Angeles since 2012. So when you talk about it being a minute, I guess I timed this thing out pretty well because that's about the time Joe Davis and I got to know each other. 
Be that as it may, we've got a lot more Braves to talk about. We're going to turn our attention back to this club, look at some of the big stories for the pitching staff, and of course the week to come as the Atlanta Braves return home to Truist Park to host the St. Louis Cardinals. We'll get into all of that next right here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. McCauley for more From the Diamond. Brought to you by Mark Spain Real Estate. Get a guaranteed offer from Mark Spain Real Estate. 855-299-SOLD. On Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Welcome back into From the Diamond. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. I am Grant McCauley. We are wrapping up this edition of the show. We have packed an awful lot of Braves and baseball goodness into it. So if you've enjoyed what you've heard, well, we'll be here each and every weekend. Going to bounce around a little bit with college football and, of course, the NFL back. Uh, but we're also going to be available wherever you get your podcast. Just search for From the Diamond there. You can find it on the Odyssey app. Make sure you're connected on social media. Find me at Grant McCauley, the show at From the Diamond on most platforms. You can like the show on Facebook as well. And if you need links to any and all of those things, fromthediamond.com is the place you can find those. We're going to get out of here, but we have some pitching to talk about as we have devoted much of the show to the Braves offense and for good reason because there's a lot of history going on. Ron Lacuna Jr., the overall lineup, the assault on a single-season home run record in all of baseball. It's a good time to be a member of the Braves offense in 2023. But the Braves pitching staff are the recipients of all of this offense, all of this run support, and they've been getting quite a bit of it, and they've also been pitching extremely well. And the things that you needed to see coming down the stretch, and this is no surprise, and if you've been listening to the show for a while or if you just tuned in, let me go ahead and, and throw out there the importance of getting the ace of your staff back down the stretch well, I don't know that that could be overstated. And Max Fried is back and back in a big-time way. What he did against the Los Angeles Dodgers with seven scoreless innings on Friday I think was just kind of the verification, the validation that you might have needed that Max Fried is capable of throwing 100 pitches, of going to toe-to-toe with one of the better lineups in baseball and doing that thing that Max Fried is capable of doing. Seven scoreless, a season-high 10 strikeouts, one shy of his career high, which I don't believe he'd accomplished since 2019, so it's been a minute. But 10 strikeouts in that game, 11 strikeouts, a career high. Maybe we'll see that before the season's over. Who knows? But I know that Max Fried is a guy who is uh, very, um, what's the word I would say? He's a little bit hard on himself, you know, in, in terms of how he evaluates his starts. Whereas from the outside looking in, uh, for example, that one against the San Francisco Giants to start the road trip, I thought he was perfectly good. He made one mistake, a two-run homer, but the Braves won the game and Max Fried got through six innings and, Everything looked pretty good. Then you hear Max Fried talk about it afterwards, and you would think that, well, he got, must have got knocked out in the third or fourth inning, wasn't able to do the things that the Braves needed him to do today. He's going to you know, look to get back on track in five days. But, no, that's just the, the level to which the bar that Max Fried is striving for is beyond what I think most pitchers or, or most players maybe even really think about. Like, you just don't set it quite that high because you have to understand that baseball, among the many things that it is, is a game of failure. And failure and your adjustments to that and the adjustments, that's the other part of baseball, is the constant game of that. Max Fried does it as well or better than anybody. That's just kind of who he is, and that, I think, is one of the things that makes him great. It's what gives him that edge, and Max Fried most certainly has one of those. And for the Dodgers, he used that edge to carve them up, and the Braves took the second of the first three games of this series. And Atlanta, of course, with this series victory, has to be feeling pretty good about its trajectory home from a road trip that – as I've talked about several times, and I'll just mention it again at the expense of being a broken record, I've seen the Braves make some eight, nine, ten-game trips out west and come home four and six with a couple of series losses, go to Colorado and have your whole pitching staff implode. There are just things that could happen on the road that did not happen to the Braves this time around. And this is the last major road test 
for this team. Clearly, you've got the rest of September to figure it out. The Braves will go out a couple of more times, but no cross-country trips ahead until you get to the postseason in October. And I hear that the travel and the days off are a little bit more helpful when you get to those particular series. But this 10-gamer for the Atlanta Braves, and of course, pending the outcome of Sunday, has been extremely good, and the Braves should be very happy with that heading into the off day on Labor Day on Monday. But Max Fried, one of the big reasons why the Braves were able to take a game against the Los Angeles Dodgers on Friday. But Spencer Strider, I think, is a guy that maybe there are some starts, and I'd say four or five, maybe even six of them, that he's throwing so well, and then he runs into that one mistake. And the one mistake for him against the Los Angeles Dodgers in the opener was a three-run homer by Mookie Betts. And look, there's no shame in giving up a home run to Mookie Betts. He's been doing that to a lot of folks over the course of his career and doing it to a lot of pitchers over the course of the month of August, which, as we mentioned earlier, was historically pretty outstanding. Now, Ronald Lacuna Jr. came within an eyelash of pulling that ball back into the ballpark and robbing Mookie Betts of a three-run homer that got the Dodgers back into the game. And the Dodgers continued to hit home runs. They got Joe Jimenez twice. They got A.J. Minter. Those are solo shots. And the Braves were able to hang on for their 8-7 lead because, as you might know, if you've listened to the show earlier or just at all or watched the Braves game this year, Atlanta hits quite a few home runs itself and hung on for that 8-7 victory. But lost in all of that, I think, was a start by Spencer Strider that it just continues to show that the strikeouts, they continue to pile up. Nine more punch-outs against the L.A. Dodgers. And I just look at Strider and what he's doing, and he's in the midst of doing it in fewer innings than just about anybody. So I was trying to find just recent comparable seasons that might show you where Spencer Strider with 245 strikeouts and 159 in a third innings, where, you know, how often does that happen? And not incredibly often because the seasons that I'm finding that are similar with at least 159 innings pitched were Garrett Cole, who set the strikeouts per nine record for a full season back in 2019 when he punched out 300 batters. And you can find Randy Johnson back in 2001. Now, when you're on a list with a big unit, and it has to do with strikeouts, you're doing some things right. 2001, Randy Johnson struck out 372 batters. He came within 11 of Nolan Ryan's all-time record. That is an impressive feat. And when you think about what Randy Johnson did, well, he did it in fewer, fewer innings than Nolan Ryan did it when he said it back in the 70s. And now Spencer Strider is like the next iteration of that. I'm not telling you he's going to strike out 370 guys. I wouldn't put it past him if he had the innings to do it. But he's on a pace to strike out an awful lot of guys in a, in a fewer amount of innings than just about anybody else has. But Randy Johnson, through 23 starts in 2001, had thrown 162 innings. That's what it takes to qualify for the ERA title or the, be a qualified starting pitcher, just in case you're wondering. Had 251 strikeouts in 162 innings. As I mentioned, Spencer Strider, 245 strikeouts and 159 and a third. So a difference of one-tenth of a strikeout, 13.84 Ks per nine for Spencer Strider, 13.94 Ks per nine to that point for Randy Johnson, who finished the season with 13.76 strikeouts per nine. And I mentioned Garrett Cole owns that record, 13.81. So if Strider maintains his pace, he's going to have the highest strikeouts per nine by any starting pitcher in a full season. Have to stipulate Shane Bieber and Jacob deGrom both posted huge numbers in the 2020 season, but they did that in 10 starts. So not knocking them, and the record book is not knocking them either, but there's a big difference in going out and doing this 25, 30, 35 times, whatever the case may be, and only having the 60 games to work with, but that is something we can talk about some other time or never. It doesn't really matter to me. But the strikeouts and Spencer Strider, we're going to talk about an awful lot, but it brought me to the other point that I wanted to make about Spencer, and I don't know why with some segments of the, the social media experience that you get, 
love Spencer Strider and others. They just don't think he's that great. He just strikes out batters. But what does he really do beyond that? Maybe he's overrated. I think he's properly rated. That's just my opinion. Strider 16-4 and four this year with, I believe, maybe five more starts, depending on what the Braves plan to do and once they wrap up the NL East. And depending on how things look for the you know, race for best record and home field advantage, we'll see how many more starts Spencer Strider makes. But he's got a shot at 20 wins. You get to 20 wins, typically, for better or for worse, as imperfect as that stat is, usually you're going to get some Cy Young votes just based on that fact alone. A 3.56 ERA is about three-quarters of a run higher than what is expected earned run average would be. And as I mentioned, 245 strikeouts, only 49 walks. He has bumped his walk rate down, but he's given up some more home runs and some more hits this year and more barrels this year than he did a year ago when you start to get inside the StatCast data especially. But I started looking through the National League Cy Young candidates, and Garrett Chapman, my producer, brought this up as well because Spencer Strider may not be the only man on the Braves staff to get some Cy Young votes. And you might be looking and saying, well, well Max Reed's missed too much time. He's not going to get Cy Young votes. And, well, Kyle Wright, he won 20 games last year, but he's not going to get back in time to make that kind of impact. Bryce Elder, he's an all-star. That's been a good story. But all of a sudden, who does that leave? Well, it leaves the veteran Charlie Morton, and I'm going to get to him in a second. But the Cy Young candidates across the NL, I don't really feel like there's a clear favorite. There's a lot of guys who are having good seasons, but if you start to stack them all up, nobody is having that one undeniable year where it's like, okay, I'm watching this guy. He's a Cy Young Award winner. It's just going to happen. This guy's throwing a perfect game. This guy's striking out 300 batters. This guy's got 20 wins and an ERA barely over two. I mean, basically the kinds of things that Clayton Kershaw has done over the course of his career that basically every time he comes into the year you look at, at least for about a decade, well, this guy could win the Cy Young. But I think Spencer Strider's got a pretty good chance. I looked at Zach Wheeler of the Philadelphia Phillies. He's 10-6 and six with a 362 ERA, 185 punch-outs, 30 walks. Just going to go by some of the old-school kind of triple crown statistics here. Zach Gallen was having a great year for Arizona, still is, but he's faded in the second half. He's 14-6 and six with a 332, 182 strikeouts, 37 walks. Now, Blake Snell is the only other National League pitcher, or I believe the only other pitcher in baseball, perhaps, at least the National League, with 200 strikeouts. He's got 201 of those. And a 2.50 ERA, but he's 12 and nine, and he's walked 89 batters. So there are some blemishes, I guess, to some of these guys. Justin Steele, meanwhile, who is part of an upstart Chicago Cubs team, hoping to make the postseason, he's 15 and three with a 2.69 ERA, 141 punchouts, 51 walks. Those guys plus Spencer Strider, I expect you'll find these guys in the top 10 when you look at the Cy Young voting. What order? I have absolutely no idea, but I would make a pretty strong case that the Major League strikeout leader, Spencer Strider should be at or near the top of that list. And it is for uh, Blake Snell, the only other National League pitcher with 200-plus strikeouts. That's how I had the search filtered. But how about Charlie Morton? This guy, who had four absolute clunker starts after one good one out of the All-Star break. And you started to wonder, all right, was this, is he going to figure it out? Because if he doesn't, the Braves are going to have to make some plans for their postseason rotation that are going to be very interesting if Charlie Morton pitches his way out of that picture. And about the time that people started to wonder about that, well, the last four starts, and in particular the last three happened, and Charlie completely turned his season around yet again and I think has thrown some of his best baseball in a Braves uniform. He's 14-10 and because he lost four straight starts, so the losses are there. 329 ERA, though, is top five in the National League, 165 strikeouts. You give Charlie Morton five more starts, four or five more starts, he strikes out eight or nine guys, he's going to be over 200 strikeouts again, and that's just something Charlie Morton seems to find his way to and his late season surge, or excuse me, late career surge, not just late season here, is the kind of stuff that I think a lot of starting pitchers would love to have. His fastball is still 96, 97 miles an hour, an elite of the elite curveball. And that was the pitch that had escaped him 
and wasn't generating the results he needed when he went through that lull, he has managed to solve that problem as well. So just kind of a, a, a big-picture look at the Cy Young and a couple of Braves that I think should finish, maybe even in the top five. And for Spencer Strider, I just don't see another pitcher that is making a bigger and better case than he is. So I'm going to go ahead and say Cy Young, why not? Major League Strikeout leader, I think winning a Cy Young would be pretty apropos. Uh, also in this starting rotation, Bryce Elder has not been bad lately. In fact, I feel like the swing and miss is just what's not there for him like it is for Morton and Strider, but a very encouraging Saturday start where he was kind of grinding it out and getting the pitches, getting the outs that he needed to against a very tough Dodgers squad to toss six innings of one-run ball. It may not have felt like it at times, but Bryce Elder's just gotten the job done more times than not this season. And I know it's been kind of up and down, a little bit of a roller coaster ride in the second half, but he's done some pretty impressive things. You know, I can't get out of here without talking about Darius Vines for a moment. I know he was optioned back down to the minor leagues, but you make your major league debut at Coors Field, a lot of managers or, or, or teammates might just pat you on the back and say, good luck, kid. This is going to be a weird ride. They're not all like this. But Darius Fines went out and tossed six innings of two-run ball, struck out five. He looks like he could earn a start if the Braves need somebody to help stretch this rotation at some point in September. And at the very least, you put your name on, sign the guest book here. You're a major leaguer at this point, and maybe he can pitch his way into the Braves' plans moving forward. Speaking of September call-ups, though, Dylan Lee, Forrest Wall have joined the club. Ben Heller also called up. He took Darius Vines' place for now as he was optioned back down to AAA. But a lot of things going well for the Braves pitching staff and a lot of things going well for this Braves club in general. They take the series from the Los Angeles Dodgers. They'll get an off day on Monday. Then it's a three-game set against the St. Louis Cardinals. Then the Pittsburgh Pirates are going to roll into town next weekend. And, of course, circle September the 9th on your calendar. Andrew Jones' number will be retired. You might want to be out there at Truist Park for one of those things. That's going to wrap us up for what was a jam-packed edition of From the Diamond. Appreciate you riding along with me. As always, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you tune in right here on 92.9 The Game. I'll be here each and every weekend. Thanks again to Joe Davis for making some time for me this week. Thanks to Garrett Chapman for helping me out here behind the glass. And thanks to all of you for joining in. I'm Grant McCauley. And until next week, this has been From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. So long, everyone.